Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. We're excited about the next three weeks here at, at New Vision. Here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be studying, I think, the greatest story that Jesus ever told, the story of the prodigal son. And we're really going to look at... Um, all three characters in the story. My hope is that uh, you would find yourself in the story because we're there. But also I hope that you would see the nature of God and see him in ways that you've never seen before because that is so true and one of the things that can happen. But here's the lens that we're going to be looking at uh, this particular section of scripture. So you can go ahead and turn there in Luke chapter 15 if you want. But here's how we're going to see this. I believe this. I believe we're all homesick. Now, we're probably not able to explain that or fully understand that, but we all have some homesickness in our life, but we're not experiencing what we really thought life would bring. When we got the first job, we thought that would deliver the goods, but it didn't. When we get married, we thought, you know what, spent so much of our life wanting to get married, then then, then you got married, and you thought, well, well, that isn't everything that I thought it would be. That's what my wife thinks, not me. I just want to go ahead and clarify that. It has been completely everything and more for me, but for her. And then you have kids, and you think, oh, when we have kids, and that will be, we'll be fully satisfied, and... um, not always. Is that, that, that the way that goes down? So we're just, we're just left in our life longing for more. Most of us live all of our life just a little bit homesick. And so I never will forget my youngest son. He's here in this service. So I'm not going to look at him. But one of my favorite Clay stories, he's an awesome dude. Clay's an awesome dude. I love him so much. Um, I tell him I love him like a son. So, so it's good. What a dad. But he was, I think, seven years old, and, and uh, we sent him to camp. His brother's older, had gone to the camp, and, and, and we sent him for two weeks in Missouri, of all things. And I know what you're thinking, like, what kind of parent sends their kid away for two weeks? We did worse than that. I don't even want to, I mean, you know, so don't, 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 don't judge. So it was a Christian camp, so he, he's there. And, um, you know, like when you've sent your kids off to camp, sometimes you can go online and, you, and take a look at pictures and see ki- pictures of your kids with the other kids at camp. And so as we, Amy went online, uh, we, we found out something that we weren't ready for, that they had a camp store, and, 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 and they just gave the kids a line of credit, and so they could go to the camp store. Well, this little guy was naturally uh, just, uh, just homesick, but he was doing a little retail therapy. So I think it was like $271, and give or take, he'll correct me in two days. I mean, everybody in the family had hoodies. We had, you know, he got a new Bible. He didn't need a Bible. He got one. We finally said, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. We had to cut him off. But when we're homesick many times, when we're homesick, we don't, we don't make the best decisions, do we? in so many different areas of our life. And we're going to take a look at that today. And so in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this story. It's an amazing story. Jesus said there was a, there was a father, and this father had two boys. And the youngest boy comes to his dad and said, hey, dad, I want my share of my inheritance, and I want it right now. In essence, he's saying to his dad, dad, I'm not going to wait for you to die. I, I want my stuff now. And how arrogant is that? How disrespectful is that? In in this culture, what would have been normative to do in this culture is to to stone this young man for this act of rebellion. But the father does something that's so different. He, He divides up his property. He sells his property and he gives this boy his share of the inheritance. And so the boy has his. Doesn't take long till he gathers up everything and he sets off to a faraway country, and when he gets there, it's on. 
And he lives as rebelliously and recklessly as he possibly can. You always have plenty of friends when you got a lot of money. But it doesn't take very long and the money runs out. And he finds himself broke. What is he going to do? Because the friends are gone. And so in the story, it says that he hires himself out to a citizen of that country and he finds himself feeding the pigs, working with hogs, which for a Jewish boy doesn't get any worse. You see, the situation or the conditions that were going on in and around this story is he finds himself broke and there's a severe famine in the land. And so this is the only job that he can, can find. And he finds himself watching the pigs eat and saying, man, I I wish I had some of what they're eating. And then one day, he comes to his senses. And he says, how many of my dad's hired servants have food to eat, even food to spare? And yet I'm starving here. So he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go home, and here's what I will say. I'll say, Father, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but if you would just make me like one of your servants. Notice what he said. If you would just make me, make me like one of your servants. And so he makes his way back. He's rehearsing his speech over and over again as he crests the hill and can maybe see his home in the distance. He, he sees something that he doesn't expect because a Jewish father would never do this. His father has rolled up his robe and he is, his dad is in a dead sprint running because his dad is so filled with compassion. When he sees his boy, he runs and he throws his arms around him and the son is trying to tell his dad, dad, I'm sorry, I sinned against heaven and I sinned against you. I'm no, no longer worthy to be called uh, your son. Just make me like one of your servants. And, and the father, in a show of extravagant grace, because what you're gonna find in the course of the three, the, these next three weeks is you, you know some guys like these brothers, but you don't know anybody like this dad. The father puts a robe on him. He covers him. He gives him the family ring back on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet. Now, for us today, that's not that big a deal. But servants didn't have shoes because you give a, a servant shoes and he might run, especially one who's already run once. But no, he puts shoes on his feet. And he brings that boy back into the house and to everyone who would listen He says, it's time now to celebrate, kill the fatted calf because this boy of mine was lost. Now he's found, he was dead and now he is alive. What an amazing story. But here's the truth of it. Everybody's got a story. You got a story. I got a story. Most everybody in this room has a story of rebellion, and they're all a little bit different. But at the core of them, they're the same, and the cause of them is the same. And so what I want us to do now for the next few minutes, I'm going to invite Steve Austin out. Steve's one of our newest staff members here. Steve is is now over our prison ministry doing an amazing job, and and so he's going to come out today, and he is going to take us through uh, his story. So you guys make Steve feel welcome here. Thank you, Pastor. It's 
Steve, thank you for being willing to, to, to do this. So I, we, we've just ran through the story of the prodigal son, and so I, I want you, I told you I'm asking you to do this because I'd rather you st- share your story than me have to share mine, so it's just a little bit easier. But t- talk a little bit about kind of the core of your story, sort of what was going on in your journey uh, in your life. So the, the heartbeat of my rebellion really hinged upon the fact that I wanted to do life on my terms. I, I wanted no accountability. I wanted to live life the way I wanted to live it. You know, God kind of wired me to be an extremist by nature. So, um, you know, I, I, I later kind of discovered that God calls us to be his no matter what. When we answer that call, um, something that I didn't understand is that he made us for a person, but he wired us for a place. So he wired me to be an extremist for the nature of the call that he has put on my life. And so it takes that kind of internal energy and that kind of extremist nature. But at the same time, I was made for a relationship with him. So without this relationship with him, then my life was null and void. There was no reason for me to feel fulfilled in any kind of way. So I started looking in so many different directions and places to try to find true peace, contentment, fulfillment, hope, joy, those internal things that we all want. And what I found in the church, my parents had me at church. My parents are here, by the way, somewhere. Um, so they're having uh, to today. relive. They're about yeah, to relive yeah, all this. They are. They? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, they had me in church every time the doors were open. And in the midst of that process, I was always taught that Jesus has made a way for us and that God created this abundant life for us. But, man, the only thing I knew about church was the old dead guy that crept up to a dead pulpit, delivered a dead sermon to a bunch of dead people. I'm not offended by that. And, 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 and you're not that guy, yeah, thank okay? Thank you. I appreciate right, that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll say that yeah. on stage. Yeah. So, um, you know, I didn't want to be that guy. And I knew that God was calling me to do something. So I literally just started rebelling and started looking my own way. And, and what it really boiled down to years later, as I came to understand, for us to follow leadership well, we must be able to trust the motive of the one who's asking us to follow. Mm, yeah. And I saw God as this ultimate straight jacket maker. Yeah. I thought he was the ultimate fuddy-dud that desired, that laughed, and he hauled up in heaven having a good time while we were down here being bored out of our minds. That's what I thought God was. So I had trouble trusting his motives. I would never give myself to him because he meant ultimate killjoy, as you said just a few minutes ago in our conversation. I would have to forfeit a fun life. So, you know, with, with when... When I knew that I was wired to be an extremist, I began to try to search for all that meaning and significant in, in the things that the world had to offer. So I, I used drugs. I, I had fast cars. Um, I, I, I did I don't, a I'm going to stop you here because we have a little bit of this. Now, I think you know this, but we have some clips of you because you're wired oh, really different from me. So yeah, you, right? you're an adrenaline junkie. Yep. Like you just, that's how you are. So we have a couple, these are a couple clips of kind of some of how you spend your weekend. So let, in, let, in let, a healthy way now. In a healthier right. way. Yeah, yeah this, good. this is how I express it. So yeah, let's, yeah, look let's up take there a look at that. This is just oh, us here. Yeah, hey, this, this is, is just awesome. a... This is how you spend your weekend now. Yeah, you are crazy, man. Yeah, like oh, really like that. Man. That's really wild. That's yeah, that wilder awesome. than I wilder than I thought. 
No, I mean, we have some shot, shots of you on the lake, flipping around on yep. skis and driving a, a, a car. So, yeah, that's pretty wild. But uh, we don't have that now. But anyways, just, just going <laughs> right on. This is pretty, pretty so, wild. Um, you know, so some of the lessons I learned along the way is that sin is, is always fun for a season. Right. But the reality is that when we plant the seeds of sin in our life, it takes some time for those seeds to come to fruition. Yeah. But when they come to fruition, we then reap the consequences of that rebellion against the ultimate authority, which is God. Yeah. So as we see him through the wrong lens, we attempt to meet a need that only he can meet at the deepest places of who we are. Because we're all longing for that deepest place to be satisfied. And the only one who satisfied that place is God himself. Yeah. Powerful. So at the midst of, of, of this, you know, thought process, um, you know, I, my parents always told me, don't smoke. Well, I found out later, one of my, my grandmother on my dad's side died of cancer. So they said, don't smoke. Well, my natural progression was to do something outwardly that expressed an inward rebellion. So I began to smoke. And then I also found out pretty quick that satisfying our need in a worldly way never lasts. Yeah. So you're always looking for something else. So I, I started smoking. I went to smoking pot, popping pills, dropping acid, um, cocaine, and then finally went to crack cocaine, and then that was the demise of my journey in the midst of that process. Yeah, wow. You know, in the story today, so this young man finds himself in kind of this, in, in a pigsty. He's in a place that he never thought he would be, sort of, and it's a, it's a real low point for him. Is there an example of two of, of where you, in your journey, kind of find your, found yourself kind of in a place that you never dreamed possible? Sure. You know, God uses events in our life to, he loves us enough to give us the choice, and then he turns around and allows that choice to bring us to the end of self. So that we come to our senses like our guy did in our story. And, and, and two of those events for me happened this way. And, you know, one of the cool things about coming to our senses is that then and only then God comes back into focus. Yeah. And we begin to see the reality of what we've walked away from in the midst of those moments. Two of the things that, that really um, started my journey down a, a, a terrible spiral... Um, a, a drug deal went bad in, in Memphis, and um, so walking away from that, um, I was beat up and left for dead, and the next day, um, I didn't find out in, until later, uh, but uh, some guys broke in, and they shot up the house and tried to kill me, um, a number of shots all over the house, uh, and uh, I think we've actually, do we have a picture? I think we've got a picture. We did have a picture, but I don't know if we do. Now, there's a picture in your house, so I'm yep. not trusting that, but yep. there's a picture. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yep, there's yeah. the picture right there. And so that's actually a bullet hole between the guys. Um, and, and when I would go up and look directly into the bullet hole, I could see directly into my, into my parents' bedroom because it was like at head height. So um, anyway, um, at, uh, at the end of that process, I knew that something was wrong. And I knew that the way that I was living was not working, but I still wasn't quite at the end. God let me experience some other things. So I, was, um, I got busted in Texas with a truckload of marijuana. I got off on a technicality and was extradited back to Tennessee on other charges. And about uh, at some point in the morning, I woke up and I looked in this little polished aluminum uh, mirror embedded in the cinder block. And 
you know, I, I looked at myself, and for the first time, I stopped and I said, you know what? Your best thinking has gotten you here, and how's this working for you? Yeah. So I looked around, and, and two things came to mind. Number one, as long as I'm in control of my life, I will never be able to make sense out of this journey. And number two, no matter what resources I have available, as long as I'm in control, I will never experience this life that I know I am supposed to be experiencing. Yeah. And you, you shared with me this last week, there was, a, there was just one final event that really God used to kind of bring you back home. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I, I left some guys. I, I was actually working. Um, I had my own business. I had a bunch of guys working for me. I left them about an hour and a half away at a job site. I spent all their money. It was payday. I had their paychecks. I went and cleaned out the bank account so they couldn't get to the bank before I did. And I was trying to blow you my heart out. You thought the drug up. dealers that were coming for you, that was one thing. These yeah. guys, you took their paycheck. That's yeah. a whole other Well, that, this was years later. This yeah. was uh, a lot of events later. And so um, I had seven crack pipes lined up on the, on the, on the table. And I, I was in a motel room. I was actually down here at Scottish Inn um, is, is where I was. And... Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, some, someone that I owed money to had called my parents and said, hey, I'm, we're going to give you an opportunity to, to pay uh, this debt for your son or else, you know, he's just not going to be around anymore. And so, um, like I said, I had seven crack pipes lined up on the table. The reason I didn't have six is because when I went back to number one, it was still too hot to hit. So um, I was just, just indulging nothing but the crack into my lungs, the smoke, instead of air, and I was trying to kill myself. So um, it, there came this moment, and I began to feel myself through this number, and I knew I was going to pass out. And the only thing that came to mind is, God, um, wow, you know, I have royally blown this life that you've given me. <clears throat> I know that you had more for me to, to experience, <clears throat> but I never could find that way. I'm sorry that I didn't find that way. And if there's anything in your grace, I know, I know what I deserve. Give me what I deserve. Mm. But if there's anything in your grace that can reach down and, and, and take care of me now, I need you. Mm. And then that's the last thing I remember. I just, I just fell over. Well, I was, when I was smoking, I had this torch in my hand. So um, next thing I know, um, my hand, I felt something. So I woke up, I was jolted and the torch was still burning when I passed out. So there was a, a spot on the floor about the size of this table and a little tight weave carpet. The carpet was just barely on fire and it had just barely burned a circle. And evidently my hand was laying next to it. Well, when it burned me, I woke up, the bed had just caught on fire. And so I got up and I, I took a shower real quick. I called, um, the woman that I'm now married to almost 23 years, um, Michelle, uh, we were just dating at the time, and God had, for some reason, he had allowed her to fall in love with me in spite of myself. She didn't know anything about what was going on. She did know something after I was gone for eight days. She right. knew something was yeah. up. But um, he had blocked her from being able to see all of the, the nonsense that my life was, consisted of. So um, I called her, and just so happened she had been at my parents' house when they had gotten the call and so she somehow made it to the, to the motel. So I took a shower. I went downstairs. I didn't even know she was out there. I was just going to the front desk. 
And I saw her car. And when I went over to the, I looked in and I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's Michelle. Oh my goodness. Wow. You know, she always said, if you, you know, if you cuss, if I find out you drink or you smoke or you do anything, you know, we're done. You know, so yeah. I just knew I was done. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. So, you know, I just thought to myself, oh my goodness, you know, she, wow, this is going to do it all. But, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'll man up. Yeah. So I knocked on a window and when I did, I, I thought she was going to get out and slap me. Yeah. Yeah. She got out and hugged me. And she looked at me, and, and I'm telling you, man, um, I, I really saw the face of Jesus. When I looked into her eyes, it was as if I wasn't looking at her, a person. I was looking at Jesus, and I knew that his grace, he had answered the prayer right before I went down. Yeah. And in that moment, I knew that there was hope for me. And that really was the turning point in my life. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I tell you, your story is a powerful story from really rebellion to redemption. We see a lot of similar elements that we see in the, in the prodigal story. And I'm so thankful for you having the courage just to share that with us. And I know today's a big day because you've got a you've got these folks, these guys and gals that are here that you're ministering to, and then also as soon as this service is over, anybody that wants to be involved and learn more about your ministry, we've got uh, that going. You've got a luncheon and a chance to kind of share some They're information. In the chapel. That's right. Yeah, right down in the chapel. So great awesome. day, big things that are happening. Thank Incredible. you for sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Let him know how much you appreciate that. You know, everybody has a story. And our stories are different, but then there's a lot of our story that are the same. If you have your notes, let's take about the next 10 minutes before we finish our time today. And, and let's look and see the similarities in our story. Because here's what I believe. I believe even rebels are homesick. And here's the first thing I would say uh, about a rebel. Rebels are homesick at home. And you might say, well, that, that's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. How can you be homesick at home? Well, here, here, here it is. Home is not a place. Think about it. Home is not a place. We might think it is. Home's not a place, but home has always been a person and a relationship. That's what we're longing for. And so when someone's homesick at home, just like the boy and the, the prodigal uh, son in this story, the younger brother, he's there with his father and has everything, but he really believes life is better out here. And so he's homesick at home. He lacks contentment uh, at home. And, and what Steve said is so true, and what we see in this story is so true. And it's hard for us to get our minds around this. But God loves us enough to let us leave. Because the boy in this story, he didn't love his father. You see, all of us have sort of been there, and we've, we've kind of heard the truth, especially if you've grown up in the South. Maybe you've, you've heard it about the greatness of, of God, but you don't really believe it because you really believe life is better out there, so sometimes we just have to try it. And God leave, loves us enough to let us leave. Here's the second thing about rebels. Rebels always choose the gifts over the giver. That's what this boy is saying when he's saying to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. He wants the gifts of his father over relationship with his father because rebels believe that the things of my father or the things of this world are ultimately going to be what will satisfy me. I've thought about this so much over the course of, of this week. My dad is still alive. I love my dad. My dad has some nice stuff. My dad's got a really cool boat. I love my dad's boat, you know. I don't want my dad's boat. I want my dad. You know, this week, it's been 12 years since Amy's dad went to be with Jesus. And on September the 11th, 
We talked about it this week. We, he left us a lot of things. We're thankful for that, but we would give all of those things in a moment to have him. And see, that's the truth of it, isn't it? When it all comes down to it, we think we want the gifts of our father, but what we want is him. And Abraham, Abraham Piper has this quote that's a, at first maybe a bit of an obscure quote, but it's a very important one and it's helpful, especially for parents. Here's what it says. It says, your rebellious child's real problem is not drugs or or sex, or cigarettes, or porn, or laziness, or crime, or cussing, or any sort of homosexuality, or any promiscuous sexual behavior. That's not the problem. The real problem is that your child doesn't see Jesus clearly. That's the real problem. Because unless and until we see him, our father for who he is, we'll always chase all these other things. And so... That's the problem with rebellion is we want the gifts over the giver. It's very short-sighted. Here's the third thing I would say just very quickly, and this is super important. And this is one of these amazing life truths. This is an original thought with me. Rebels always misunderstand authority. Think about it. We always misunderstand authority. And if you've been rebellion in any area of your life, which we all have, one of the reasons why we have rebelled is we've misunderstood authority. We believe that there's more freedom beyond authority. We really believe it's the authority figures in our life that, that are holding us back. And ultimately, it's a part of the first story. If you think about Adam and Eve's story, what, what was really their problem? First of all, how many rules did God give Adam and Eve in the garden? Think about that if you grew up in church. Just one. In fact, the place they lived was called the Garden of Eden. Eden means pleasure. Think about that. If that's the neighborhood you lived in, if it was called the neighborhood of pleasure, that's a great place, right? With one rule. But it wasn't enough because really what Adam and Eve thought was this, that freedom is found outside of your rules, God. And if I could just break free from your rules and your authority, I can find freedom. Here is the irony of life. Maximum freedom is always found when we surrender to authority, not rebel against it. In fact, it's why Jesus came. Jesus came that I, he said, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. It's for freedom that he came. But how can we have freedom when we submit to doing life on his terms, not on our own terms? Here's the fourth thing. Rebels eventually get hungry and homesick. It always happens. The buzz wears off. The friends leave. And sooner or later, we always get hungry and homesick. Now, look at this. In verse 14, watch what the scripture says. It says, after he, meaning this younger son, had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Here's what happened. Now, 
I, I want to say this. This story of the prodigal son that's found in Luke chapter 15 is a part of three stories that Jesus told in rapid success, succession. Now, we, we talk about the third one. We forget the first two. The first one Jesus tells is the parable of the lost sheep. Anybody remember that? Jesus says there's a shepherd who has 100 sheep. One is, found, is, is missing, so he leaves the 99, and he goes in search of the one, finds it, comes back, and celebrates. Then he says there was a woman who had 10 coins, and she loses one of them. Now, I, I really think we, we kind of miss a little bit in this story. We think, you know what, that's kind of like losing a 20 and looking under the couch cushions for that. That's really not what's going on here. These 10 coins would have been part of a headdress she had when she was married. It'd be almost like losing your wedding ring. And she just rips the house apart until she finds it. And then she celebrates. So you see this pursuit. God's, God is showing us his nature that he pursues us, that he pursues us, and that he pursues us. In fact, you're here today in part because God has always been pursuing you. Now, but watch this. In the parable of the prodigal son, we don't necessarily see God pursuing in that way. We see famine. Why? Because God will always send famine into our life to get our attention. You see? And what is a famine? A famine is anything that we trust in, that it gets shaken. It can be a relationship and she leaves and we're, we're shaken. It could be a, a job that we've trusted in for financial security and it's ripped from us and we're shaken. It can be a diagnosis that comes and our health is shaken. And all of that is shaken in our life. And so that gets our attention. God uses whatever means necessary to get our attention. I want to say this from a parenting standpoint. Just listen, if I can just call a time out here and just a commercial. This is an amazing lesson for parents right? If you're, if you're a parent, you're probably going to raise a rebel or a rule follower. That's the way it is. We're going to see the, the rule follower next week. And to be honest, I'm not so sure that they aren't worse than the rebel. I hope you're back next week because we can look at that. Both of them are far from God. Rebel or rule follower. But here's the deal with rebels. God sends a famine to get their attention. He's on the Father's radar. He is pursuing them. He is using whatever means necessary to get their attention and turn their heart back to him. But many times as parents, we step in and we enable the rebels in our life. Like in this story, watch this, the older brother, if you go back and you reread this tonight, the older brother, if we would have read on, the older brother lists in detail what his younger brother has been doing. He knows how he's spending his money. He knows he's spending it on prostitutes. He knows what he is doing. How did he know that if he didn't know where he was? He knew where he was. He just didn't go after him. And the father doesn't send a 20 in the mail to say, hey, get yourself something to eat. He doesn't. And that bothers us. But he's doing something far greater. He sent a famine to turn his attention so he could capture his heart. And so many times when we're enabling someone in our life, we're really working against what God is doing in their life. Now, thank you for that. <laughs> Most of you are like, man, I don't like that. Especially if you're a rebel, you want somebody to enable you, don't you? But look at this. Can I just say it this way? Look at, look at verse 17. I love this passage. We're almost done. It says, when the boy came to his senses, 
That's what God is wanting all along for all of us. And he will use whatever means necessary to come to our senses. Because Steve's story is so much like so many other folks' story, especially in the South. Man, you can grow up in church all your life. You can hear message after message after message, but it's just in one ear, out the other. And you just go and do life because you know what? That's where freedom is. And you chase all those things. And then you just come to the end of your rope and realize there is no life there. And it's only then many times that the fog clears and we're able to come to our senses. That's why every time I get a chance to preach and you guys and gals are sitting in front of me, I'm always honored that you're here and thankful that you're here and our church loves the fact that you're here and I hope you feel that. But you know what? Yeah. I know as, as and this is easy for somebody like me sitting up here saying, right? But as, as difficult as the situation is that you find yourself in, many times it takes situations like that for us to come to our senses. And we're going to live somewhere forever. And in and, and several years of incarceration as it relates to eternity, that gives a whole different perspective. Sometimes it just takes that for all of us to come to our senses. Now, here's what I want to close with. You may not have been locked in but I'm going to ask you to give me about three minutes. And if there's one thing that I want you to take home with you, this is it. Because it will begin to change everything. When you read this story of the prodigal son, I have read this story over and over again, and I have missed this. But the rebels rode home. In other words, your rebellion can begin to come to an end. And these feelings, this deep unsatisfaction you have in your soul, homesickness begins to go away when this happens. The rebel's road home begins with a switch from give me to make me. Watch this. In verse 12, what does he do? Watch, watch, watch. When he goes to his father, what does he say? He says, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Give me is the core of rebellion. Give me, give me, give me. It's all about us, all about what we need, when we need it. Give me, give me, give me. And if we're not careful, most of our prayers are give me prayers. But here it is. The core of brokenness that leads to healing and redemption is make me. That's what the son says in verse 18. He says, Father, make me. Make me just like one of your servants. That's a prayer of surrender. Instead of, Father, give me, if you want this whole thing to change, if you're ready for your story to move from rebellion to redemption, part of what is going to have to happen is we have to move from give me to make me. Jesus, here's what I believe. I have made a mess out of my life, but I am asking you to make me. Make me your son. Lord, make me holy. Make me useful in your hands. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put you on the spot and nobody raise your hand here and we're almost done. But how many of your prayers in the last week have been give me prayers? And how many of those prayers have been make me prayers? Make me, make me, make me. That's surrender. What you want me to be, what you've created me to be. That's when the story of rebellion moves to amazing rescue story and redemption story. It's just changing that. That's what the boy does. You see, here's what I know. 
from these three parables. And I'm glad you're here. There's folks watching online. And the greatest problem we have in our culture today is a misunderstanding of the nature of our God. If we understood that, it would change everything. But in these three parables, there's one thing that I don't want you to miss, and then I'm going to be quiet. In all three of these parables, after something that was lost is found, found, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, what does the father do? He celebrates every single time. What does that say to us? We have a God. Listen to this. Listen to this. We have a God who would rather rescue than punish That's who he is. That's his nature. We have a God who would rather rescue than punish. I don't know if you knew that about him. That's why you haven't been so free to have a make me prayer because you didn't understand who he is. But we have a God who would rather rescue than punish. The Bible says it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And when we begin to see who he is and what he wants to do in our life, it will lead us to these make me prayers. I'm going to invite our our band and our praise team out. We're going to close. It's going to look a little bit different today. Okay, as we close. But we're homesick. All of us in some level and area of our life are experiencing some homesickness. Many times it's due to a period of rebellion in our life. So what is the, what is the, what is the cure? The cure is a make me prayer and the response is running to our father. That's what this boy finally does. He comes to his senses and he runs to the father And God responds in powerful ways and lavishes him with grace. So here's the deal. The altar is going to be open today. You have rebels that are on the run in your life. You're free to come to this altar and pray for them. Or you have been on the run for a long time in your life. And it's time to come and kneel before the Father and say, Make me, make me, make me in what you want me to be. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation. 